Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 459. I needed a diversion, and since the mare was too clever by half, it needed to be at least halfway legitimate. I heard the telltale sigh of air that signaled the mare's secret passage opening in my dressing room. I made sure I was pacing anxiously by the time he came through the doorway. Alvarin had continued to put on weight in the last two span, and his face was no longer hollow and drawn. He cut quite a figure in his finery, a creamy ivory shirt and stiff jacket of deep sapphire blue. I got your message, he said briskly. Have you finished the song then? I turned to face him. No, your grace. Something more important than the song has come to my attention. As far as you are concerned, there is nothing more important than the song, the mayor said firmly, tugging the cuff of his shirt to straighten it. I've heard from several people that Mellowin was greatly pleased with the first two. You should focus the whole of your efforts in that direction. Your grace, I am well aware that out with it, Alvaron said impatiently, glancing at the face of the tall gear clock that stood in the corner of the room. I have appointments to keep. Your life is in further danger from Codicus. I'll give this to the mayor. He could have made his living on the stage. The only break in his composure was a brief hesitation as he tugged his other cuff into place. And how is that? he asked, apparently unconcerned. There are ways for him to harm you other than poison, things that can be done from a distance. A spell, you mean? Alvarin said. He means to conjure up a sending and send it to bedevil me? Tell you anyway, spells and sendings. It was easy to forget this intelligent, subtle, and otherwise educated man was little better than a child when it came to arcane matters. He probably believed in fairies and the walking dead, poor fool. However, attempting to re-educate him would be tiresome and counterproductive. There is a chance of that, Your Grace, as well as other, more direct threats. He dropped some of his unconcerned pose and looked me in the eye. What could be more direct than ascending? The mayor was not the sort of man to be moved through words alone, so I picked up an apple from a bowl of fruit and polished it on my sleeve before handing it to him. Would you hold this for a moment, Your Grace? That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. If the mayor was, I don't know, paying more attention, he might say, how come it took you two span to tell me this? How come this was not the first thing that came to your mind when Codicus got away, that he can do juju on me, he can do a spell and send Both answers that on the next page. Well then, I guess I'm an asshole. That's right. <laughs> but you are a handsomely <laughs> mustachioed asshole, sir. Actually, this page is frustrating because I feel like a lot of what we might talk about is better talked about tomorrow. Like, I feel like this is not the only thing that I would rather talk about tomorrow because we also end sort of like halfway through the, like the apple dealy. It does give us some sense of like how, how the vintage conceptualize magic and what Alvaron thinks is possible versus what is actually possible. Frankly, the difference between casting a spell and doing the kind of sympathy that's both demonstrates is really semantic as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, it is a spell like sympathy is magic. It's just that, you know, to a sympathist, it it sounds dramatic to say that we've been told that the vintage are superstitious. So it's kind of nice to see that firsthand, like what form that takes, especially when you're like a cultured person who ought to be above such things, what superstition means. We alluded to this, but it's been two span. That's 22 days. So a fair bit of time has passed in montage over the last uh, couple pages. Quoth has been courting Denna this whole time and thus courting Meluin. 
So he's definitely at this point, he's done more than like the three letters in the song, right? He's done more songs. And the mayor's like, you should, you should like keep doing the songs. Whatever you're doing with the songs is working, which makes sense because Quoth is articulate, but music is his real, like the medium of his passion, right? Which is probably why he's not much of a poet. Thank you for pointing it out in the chat. Quoth mocks the mayor for being superstitious. He probably believes in fairies also. And of course, as we'll shortly learn, fairies are extreme. We've already know this because of, you know, Bass, but fairies are extremely real. And so are the walking dead. There's like a, there's a possessed guy, uh, a possessed zombie man in the previous book. So the walking dead are also real. That's right. That's right. So Quoth is Boo Boo the Fool. This has less to do with what is directly on the page, but they describe what the mayor is wearing, which I feel like they don't do a lot. And it reminds me of the outfit of the prince from The Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Or I guess the beast is also wearing the same jacket, like that blue jacket. That is what I imagine he is wearing. We already know that those are the mayor's colors and that he wears them often, like ivory and... Sapphire, yeah. Well, it, described as sapphire and ivory in the frame narrative when the soldiers are wearing this color, so mm. that should not be uh, forgotten. They say sapphire and ivory a lot in the frame, but they almost never say sapphire and ivory in the story, which is, I think, meant to be another one of those things where it's like, ah, da, da, I told you that they were the same colors. You just weren't paying attention. I am otherwise out of notes. I wonder what appointments the mayor is so urgently, you know, urgent to get to. It seems clear to me that he's annoyed that Quoth has summoned him rather than the other way around. You know, he doesn't like, he he likes to be the one where everyone is at his beck and call. He does not appreciate being sent for. Indeed. And uh, you raise a good point, Jeremy. What is it that the mayor is doing now that he's well? Like, what was mm-hmm. the outcome of keeping him sick we know that he was looking at maps with with dagon is he trying to prosecute a war now like what is it that he's trying he fortified to the city he like kept the city's fortifications in good repair yeah so what is he up to now that he's no longer kept back by sickness that would be an interesting reversal if we find out that the mayor was being sick in order to prevent you know him from prosecuting a, a war of aggression and that Quoth has inadvertently set those gears back in motion. And I think that it's deliberate on Rothfuss's part that we don't actually get a, a sense of like what the politics of Vint are more generally and like what the political situation is. In a in a series like Game of Thrones, like that's the point, right? So we, we know a lot about what everyone's agendas are, what their vision is for the world, you know, how they're going about pursuing those things. Because this book is very much co- focused on Quoth's perspective in his story those global ambitions uh and those sort of like larger scale conflicts are a bit more at a remove because they're not really relevant to the narrative but of course the the wings of the butterfly right Quoth's actions are going to end up having some kind of outsized geopolitical impact and it's interesting to try and to think about where that might end up happening the trend is the first book, Name of the Wind, is very personal. And then this one is both bumps against those geopolitical ambitions. And in the third one, it may not become the same level of Zoom as Game of Thrones. But I think that we'll see him perhaps 
if not interfering intentionally, at least being a little more aware of the outcome of his actions in the geopolitical sense, or at least, mm. you know, enough. So enough that he'll be able to real, he'll be able to take responsibility for it. He like, it won't be a stretch for him to say this happened because of me. It'll be like, I did this thing without thinking and that caused this to happen. And that caused the big calamity to happen. All very reasonable. Do we have any other big notes on this page? Not I. No big notes. We have a letter. Mailbag. This is a long one, but it's one that I really want to read because it's got some really trenchant analysis, and I think it's uh, important to to bring it up. This is from Katrina, like the hurricane, who writes on episode 230, A Lesson for Fella. Also, uh, just so we're all on the same page, this is how Katrina referred to uh, herself. Uh, This is not an epithet that we have ascribed to her. Thank you. Hi, all. Thanks for your engaging podcast. I've been a longtime listener and infrequent commenter. While my listening slowed down a bit during the pandemic, I'm slowly catching up as I can and finding that returning to this material is a comfort during troubling times. I had a different take than some of you about page 230, where Elodin chooses Fella and Quoth to make an awkward and crass example of in front of the class. Some of you wondered at Elodin's motive for choosing Fella, and Nick asserted that this is not a lesson for Fella. I disagree. I think Elodin does have a motive for choosing Fella and a subtle lesson for her about picking a safer path for her passions. Fella is as much Elodin's student as Quoth is. While Quoth has found Elodin resistant to teaching him, his mentorship of Fella has been quite the opposite, a relationship driven more by Elodin's willingness to teach her than Fella's want to learn the subject material. I think that when Elodin looks at the two of them as students, he sees Quoth as capable but incredibly dangerous, and Fella similarly capable but less of a risk to mentor. He seems reluctant to teach Quoth because he, maybe based on past experience, is worried about the long-term implications of training and then unleashing him into the world, so he may be trying to prove to himself that he can safely mentor a student in this way and has focused his energies on the much more stable and reliable Fella. However, it's not hard to miss Fella's growing affection for Quoth at this point in the story, and surely Elodin has picked up on this. To Elodin, Fella falling for the more dangerous Quoth may be a terrible thing that sets her down a dangerous path that Elodin wishes to avoid. Elodin knows that choosing Fella for this crass lesson will leave an indelible mark in her mind and may be the very thing that causes her to drop her budding romantic feelings for him. In fact, this very thing appears to happen, especially with the well-timed encounter she had with Sim and his poetry just a few pages before. It would not surprise me at all to find that Elodin, who seems to know an unusual amount about the personal lives of his students and their interactions, saw his opportunity to discourage Fella from pursuing Quoth and set her toward the safer path of a relationship with Sim through the embarrassment she suffers during this lesson. Is it still a crude and unsettling way to do it? Yes, especially reading it from the lens of the time we're living through. But I believe that much like the writing technique that Rothfuss implores where each scene is doing multiple things, Elodin's lessons themselves are also doing several things at once to the students he is teaching, and I do not believe this is unintentional. Stay safe, friends, and thank you again for continuing this discussion during the difficult times we are living through. Signed, Katrina, like the hurricane. Yeah, wow, totally. Uh, That's a really great insight. And I think the only thing that I have to add to it is that if you've ever been someone who is in charge of kids, uh, you know, a teacher, a camp counselor, whatever, if you're paying attention at all, you can definitely pick up, you know, what's going on in people's personal lives. You know, who is interested in who, who is having trouble, who feels this way, who feels that way. And that is 
important information to know when you are looking after them, when you're trying to teach them stuff. If someone's having a hard time, you might go a little easier on them or try to take a different approach with them. If someone is infatuated with somebody, depending on you know whether that's a thing you want to encourage or not, maybe you're going to split them up. So I think that thinking of Elodin as a teacher who does care about his students and wants what's best for them and who is probably paying attention to their personal lives, especially because, frankly, he doesn't seem to spend a lot of time doing like class prep or whatever. That makes a ton of sense to me. That very charitable, good faith reading of Elodin is trying to do what's best for his students is one that really appeals. Yes, I, I feel that we committed a bit of the the sin of thinking that Quoth is the center of the world when we analyze that scene. It's hard not to do that, though, because he is the main character and we are reading the book about him by his... He's the center of our world when we read the book, but it's true that he's not the center of Temerant. Yeah, well, the, the book is about that, right? Like, the book is about how Quoth actually isn't the center of the world, and oftentimes his mistakes come about by not understanding the motivations and the actions of other people. And I think we did that a little bit, too, by assuming that the only student that Quoth was... that Elodin was interesting in, interested in teaching in that moment was Quoth. I still think it was like not the most graceful way to do it. Eldon is not the most graceful guy. And I think also that if this was written today, it would be done in a different way, or at least it like has, um, it has weight today that it probably didn't have when it was written. But uh, I think that this is a much more terrible, charitable reading uh, of pretty much everything about the scene. And it makes me look on it a little more favorably. I still don't think it's like appropriate for a teacher to like do that or to meddle in that way in the relationships of their students. But then again, when you're teaching them fundamental, like to alter the fundamental forces at work in your universe, maybe you do need to have a little more of a heavy hand. And I, you know, to be fair to the book, I do think that it is supposed to read as inappropriate. It's not supposed like that's not a thing that a teacher in this world is supposed to be doing at all. Thank you for your letter, Katrina. Uh, please, everyone, keep them coming. We love the trenchant insights. We love to keep the conversation going. You can do that by writing us at pageofthewind at gmail.com. Some of you have written in to point out that pageofthewind.com uh, is down. Uh, it is, uh, or at least it is. It's not down, but it's pointing to an empty page. And that is because I am working on uh, yet another new and uh, better version of it. So hopefully by the time this comes out, it will be done. It won't be, but uh, I am working on it. And tomorrow will also be a strong page. Yes, a page of the wind. wind.